Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hi, I'm Justin King, and welcome to the Blue Chip Academy. As a five-star recruit, all Big Ten corner, NFL vet, and Power 5 recruiting coordinator, I understand the emotions that go along with the recruiting process. The Blue Chip Academy is here to provide education, critical insights, and mentorship through the recruiting process for families and athletes alike. When athletes and their families have proper education and guidance, they're able to make better decisions and set themselves up for long-term success. Blue Chip Academy provides the resources and information that empowers athletes to create their own blue chip blueprint and take ownership of their careers. Blue Chip Academy exists because when athletes and their families are armed with the right information, they're able to make the decisions for themselves that positively impact their future. Again, I'll be your host, Justin King, and welcome to Blue Chip Academy. Hey, Coach, as many of you guys know, Terry Smith is my dad and the designer of my blue chip blueprint. Prior to designing my blue, my blue chip blueprint, uh, he walked his own unique journey, um, starting as a national champion high school quarterback at Gateway, then going to, at the time, national championship Penn State. While I was at Penn State, it's a four-year letter award winner at receiver, playing under Joe Paterno, finished a career with 108 receptions. 825 yards, 15 touchdowns, ranking six in the PSU career for receiving yards, going on to be 11th round draft pick for the Washington Redskins in the 1992 draft, played four years in the Canadian Football Arena, Canadian Football League and Arena Football League. And we'll touch on the transition from the playing days uh, to his current position now as the cornerback coach and associate head coach at Penn State. We would just like to welcome my dad, Terry Smith. All right. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me, JK. Yeah, yeah, no doubt, no doubt. We'll jump into it. You know, we obviously know that you have a, you know, unique unique viewpoint on the football ecosystem from my dad as a high school coach, athletic administrator, um, a player, uh, coach now at you know, Penn State as well. So if you can give one piece of advice to any athlete entering the football ecosystem that wants to like really take this thing serious and like, you know, some some advice that they can bank on for sustained success throughout the ecosystem, what would that be? Yeah. For the athlete, what I would say is a couple things. One, be passionate about the sport, you know, love what you do. Don't love the the process of being recruited and, and those things you want to love football. And if your heart is genuine and pure for the love of the game, you're going to want to be, like a Micah Parsons where you want to excel in everything that you do within the game. So, you know, the, the, the biggest thing that I would say is, is love the game and then create a work ethic to chase your love of the game. And, you know, we always talk about working beyond what your, your high school coach or midget football coach or whatever level you're playing, whatever your coach is telling you to do, you need to do more, you know, just create a work ethic that drives you for that success. And that love will, will be the the highway to your success. Absolutely. I definitely feel that. Like, so the biggest thing is being passionate about it, going about the football <clears throat> business with the, with the right heart at the end of the day, you know, just going into it. Cause it's, you know, 
it's a full commitment. You know, when they guys get to it, sometimes when they don't have their heart in it, you know, different distractions can pull you different ways. So I definitely agree with that. So going on to talking about the recruiting process, obviously at the Blue Chip Academy, try to give insights on the recruiting process, critical things that people can, you know, move around. Everybody knows they have to have certain, you know, certain skill level and things of that nature. But um, you've seen the recruiting process, you know, from a from a player, dad, coach, you know, AD, recruiting coordinator. As a player, how was your experience? So I'm a little bit older than a lot of the generation now. Right. So as a player, my experience is a lot different than how these guys go through it now. You know, when I came out, you didn't get recruited until your senior season. Okay. So there wasn't sophomore tape. There wasn't junior tape. You know, it was all about what you did your senior year. And then toward the, the middle of the season, you start to get recruited by some schools. And, you know, we would take our five visits, but the five visits didn't start until December of your senior year. So I think I visited um, Wisconsin, Missouri, West Virginia, University of Pittsburgh and Penn State. And at the current time, Penn State had won the national championship that year. Uh, they had beat Miami in the Fiesta Bowl. So really, you know, for, for Penn State, when they came in, they didn't offer me until mid-December after Tom Bradley came to watch me play basketball. Playing basketball. Yeah, so when he saw me play basketball was when they felt like, yeah, this is the type of guy we want at Penn State. Gotcha. Okay, okay. When did you think that your process like got serious? And we were like, okay, this is a real thing. I can play at a D1, D1 school. Because you said they didn't start recruiting until your senior year. So I guess, you know, from your freshman year to your junior year, I mean, you're getting letters, you're getting offers. Like, how do you know kind of like if this, if the process is serious? Because you're like waiting, you know, now to a senior year. Because, you know, you got guys now, if they get to their senior year, they're pretty much in panic mode. You know what I mean? If yeah. they don't have anything by, by December. So how was your process of staying focused and... Or like gauging how serious it was until that senior time of like getting offers from those schools. Yeah, for for me, it was just it was the love of playing football. And, you know, I, I played with a group of guys that I had played with my whole life that we were always successful. You know, I think from seventh grade to 12th grade, I maybe only lost three or four games my entire career. Oh, wow. <laughs> so so we were so successful and so driven to win. And, and at the end of the day, I think that is one of the key ingredients, you know, being a current college coach is one of the key ingredients that we forget is winners know how to win. Right. And when you're looking for success, you know, you want guys like Michael Parsons, he knows how to win. Right. And so we all go through tough times, no matter what team we play for. And there's games where the ball doesn't bounce our way or things aren't going our way, we're making mistakes, whatever it is, but how do those good teams overcome that? Right. They have guys that know how to win. They have guys that trust the process and, and, and have tasted victory so they don't panic in the moment. They just keep playing and they just trust that the process, however long the game is, whether it's a 60-minute game, 48-minute game, whatever it is, that they just keep playing to the end and they know good things will happen to them at, by the end of the game. So, that's, that's, a, that's an important point that you touched on. Just staying on that offensive, like you said, with that passion of the game, continue to press. And like when that opportunity comes, it comes like when you're talking about when you recognize, you know, the process getting serious, like you didn't have to 
get too shaken up because you were like doing what you loved and you were like, you're pressing the, pressing the thing. You guys were winning. So it was like, why would you worry about anything else except for, you know, executing the goal at hand? That's, that's a, that's a, that's a pretty important point. I was going, the next question was about multiple, multiple sport athletes, but you already said you got your opportunity from playing basketball. And I guess from the recruiting department, we used to talk about guys as uh, you know, you had your size and speed standards and things of that nature, but then you had your purple dots. I would like like to say that you kind of fell into like that purple dot category where it's a guy that wasn't, you know, the ideal size and but had other dynamic qualities. Can you talk about getting recruited from like that standpoint of maybe not being the six, the six two, whatever the case may be, six two, one ninety, you know, big prospect, whatever the case may be, but being, you know, talk about your size and how that weighed in on how you approached the game. I'll compare my recruiting process to Daquan Hardy, who came out of Penn, Penn Hills and now plays at Penn State, uh, because we're very similar in the sense that we're both extremely undersized players. So when I graduated high school, I was 140 pounds. So, you know, a 140-pound kid shouldn't go off to the national champion, Penn State Nittany Lions, and be able to have success. Uh, same thing with Daquan Hardy at the time. He was 152 pounds. When he came out. So the, the thing that, that we have in common is, A, we love football. We played with a passion. And we knew that we had to play with a chip on our shoulder because the world says we're not supposed to be what we are. And when you're looking at colleges recruiting these high school players, well, they want you to check as many positive boxes as you can. And clearly we didn't check the size box. So we have to bring something that's extreme in other areas. We got to be an elite talent. We got to be an elite mindset. We have to be sharp where we're just smarter than everyone else and, and bring all these unique qualities that have to be far superior than any other athlete around us. So for, for me, I, I loved football so much. I just I played so hard and my dad taught me I could never lay out on a football field, no matter what I felt no matter what the injury, because if you lay out on the football field as a small guy, they're going to say, well, we told you, he, he's too little. He can't make it. He can't handle this. Okay. And so that was my mindset. No matter what went down, whether I took a hard hit or not, I jumped up and played the next snap. You know, as a, as a multi-sport guy and as a college coach now, we, we love the multi-sport guys. It, it allows us to see different attributes from the player. You know, if you're just playing football and you're just playing outside linebacker or whatever position that you are playing, you know, you're training for that one position, but it doesn't tell me totally who you are because when I look at your highlight tape, well, everybody can put together a good highlight tape, you know, and find some good plays back to back. Well, what I want to know for a guy that's coming to Penn state is how does he handle when somebody runs right through his mouth? When, when there's a guy that's just as good as him, that now all of a sudden, maybe he got pancaked. Yeah. Now all of a sudden, he got beat. What what does he do next? Because at our level, you're going to get beat. Michael Parsons got pancaked just a few minutes ago. Okay. <laughs> but it doesn't mean he's not successful. Right. You know, what does Michael Parsons do next? He goes and makes the next two plays, make next two tackles in the next two plays. Right. And so we need to know what you're built from. And, and you got to be built from a certain type of cloth that 
you know, toughness, fortitude, you, you, you persevere and, you know, we, we do want to see you make a lot of plays on your highlight tapes because you got to show that you're capable of making those type plays that we're looking for. But, you know, the, the guys we're looking for, they, they got a certain grit and a certain toughness that, you know, they're, they're, they're going to, they're going to fight to the end. Those are guys when you're walking down in an alley and you know, there's a fight coming, who do you look to your left and to your right and say, Hey, I want to go to fight with these guys. Right. Because if you look to your left and your right and you're not comfortable, they make the dudes you want to be playing with. That's so true. That's so true. And especially when you're talking about like the mindset that, of having and having an, where would you touch on is like having an awareness that, okay, I'm smaller. I can't lay on the field like this. I can't have an excuse. I can't control my size, but what I can control is my level of competitiveness, how smart I am, all these different things. And like, I used to talk to, you know, when guys would complain, not complain, but, you know, talk about, oh, I'm not this size coach or this, but like, what can you control? Like, you know, you can, you don't have to be patient about things that you can control. Like, you know what I mean? You can, you can worry about how big you get. You got to take care of what you need to take care of. But like what you're saying, like that competitive nature and like understanding where you fit in your awareness. Like if you're, if you're a five-star guy, you can go through the process this way. If you're a ex, you know, this mid-tier guy, you got to know how you're fitting or where you're getting better at and like, you know, maximizing like your strengths as you move forward. So that's a, that's a great, that's a great insight on just that perspective moving forward on that. How informed did you feel going through the process? Were you learning going through or did you, did you feel pretty informed as you were? So as a player, I was not informed at all. Okay. Uh, you know, back then, you know, that, that was the, the old days where you didn't have uh, social media. You didn't have the Internet. Uh, you only knew what your coach at that time told you. OK. And at that time, there's not a lot of information, you know, so you, you just trust your coach and your coach tells you to knock down the wall. You go knock down the wall. You don't ask questions, you know, what, it, it, whether this is good or bad for me. The information that the school gave to you guys, whether it was letters and information like that, it was this information about the program, information about the school, like was it talk about academics and things of that nature, like how they recruited, or was it still just through the coach, coach tell a player, like word of mouth, offer, no offer? Yeah, when the, when the, the, there were letters that started coming midway through my senior year, just background information of the school. Toward the end of the year, we were able to get phone calls. That's when you really knew it was serious. Pick up the phone, call you and, and try to schedule you for one of those five official visits. And then once you started having those conversations, uh, then they would come out to the school once a week. And then they would see you in person. And I can remember Sal Sinceri, uh was coaching. I think he coaches now at University of Alabama. Oh, wow. Back then, he was coaching at University of Pittsburgh. Okay. And I can remember him coming out to Gateway into the locker room and sitting down face to face with me and, and recruiting me and, you know, just trying to convince me to, to come to university of Pittsburgh and all the reasons why. So, you know, once they started calling you and started coming to the school, then you knew it was real. Oh yeah. Okay. So it was like that. So you did like, that's so wild when you think about it, that you knew it was real towards the end of the end of the session. Now you got, you know, before you used to have the bump roll and things like that, depending on the different you know, areas that came up when guys got offers, whether I got offered early and different things of that nature, but that's, that's pretty interesting. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, it's completely different. Now. Yeah. 
Yeah, because I mean, you still see that, but like when you talk to you know <clears throat> guys coming up, you know, whether it was when you were coming out of high school and you know late '80s, you know, guys that were coming out in early 2000s or mid 2000s, they still you say, "How informed were you?" They still, I, I don't, I don't know what I was doing. I was going based on this, uh, you know, weight room or this coach here or whatever the case may be. It still wasn't like a keen in thing, so it's just kind of interesting seeing different times of change. But you know, sometimes I'm still misinformed or whatever that may be going through that process. What did you base your decision on? Like when you decided to go to Penn State, like was there, was there something, was it just like clear cut, like Penn State's it for me? Or was there something about Penn State that led you to that, that decision? For, for me, it was everything that Penn State had to offer. You know, obviously they had won a national championship that year. So it was the best football team in the country. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had a relative, Marcus Henderson was the starting safety on that team. So that connected a dot. My dad, it went to Penn State, that connected a dot. Uh, and in the education and, and what they could do for me, once I decided to stop playing football, I just felt like no other place could compare, especially for a Pennsylvania kid and Western PA kid, where you drive two, two hours up the road to, to get everything that you, can, you could want in the program. I felt, felt like it was the, the perfect fit for me. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. When you go up there, you kind of experience the the game day atmosphere, just kind of what it provides. Like when you say Western PA, it it is kind of, it becomes like that. Were you thinking about your post-career, post-football career when you decided to go to school? Like, Were you thinking about like, man, maybe I want to get into coaching and this place might, you know, lend to connections of that that sort of going here? Were you thinking about- Well, I never thought about coaching. Okay. But I did think about my post- playing career in a sense of I wanted to be a businessman like my dad. And so Penn state, you know, at the time had one of the the top business schools in the country. So that all kind of tied into the decision to check another box as well. So, you know, I, I never thought about coaching until actually I got out of playing, you know, it just kind of on a humbug. My, my dad, was was reading the Sunday newspaper, which they don't even have Sunday papers no more. Uh, the classifieds and saw an ad for Hempfield High School in Greensburg, Pennsylvania. Was looking for a receiver DB coach. And he said, "Why don't you just try that?" Right. And I said, "Okay, okay." And, uh, tried that twenty five years later. Here I am. Here we are. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. So basically, what the the best part about your recruiting process would have been? What is was what. The best part of mine is uh, <clears throat> the, the fact that, you know, back then the, the conferences didn't play as big a deal. Okay. And so, you know, there was no Eastern conference. So we always played Pitt, West Virginia, Maryland, Rutgers, Temple, all these teams in the East Boston College. We played Notre Dame. And so I had the ability to play for the best team, not only in the East, but in the country. Right. And then okay. I also had the ability to, to choose a school that I knew would help me for the rest of my life. And so as I'm sitting here today as a 52 year old, I could testify that every job that I've ever gotten post college was due to a connection through Penn state. Wow. wow. You know, whether how I got hired at, at gateway high school to when I left gateway to go to temple, it was Matt rule. Who's a Penn state guy that took me from high school to college then I went from Temple to Penn State, where I am currently now for the last eight years. Uh, 
but every job I've ever gotten, even when I was working in sales, there was a, a Penn State connection that connected the dots for me. Oh, wow. We're going to talk about that transition a little bit later and how all those things kind of connect back to the recruiting process and see if those, but you touched on that, how like the Penn State connections kind of help connect those dots for you. So as we, you know, we talked about you know, from your experience as a coach, you know, you're like, again, you had different vantage points of the recruiting process and of just this talent acquisition process. When we look at the whole football ecosystem and how kind of I view it as just like these different critical points of you master these, you can kind of excel your career like glimpse, right? The recruiting process, the pre-draft process, transitioning out, transitioning in, moving up in the ranks, whether you're in business, whether you're working in uh, personnel, football ops, coaching, and different things of that nature. So if we shift from now, I'm just going to take it to where you were, you know, as a, as a, as a parent going through the process, as a parent and a high school coach at the same time, right? Because like sometimes, I mean, that's a very unique situation because you're dealing with, you know, me going through the process, you have other players going through the process. So you're seeing, you're seeing the coaches, you know, kind of come in from a different perspective. They have to approach you in a certain type of way because you're a coach and they have to approach you in a certain type of way because you're, you know, a, a, a dad to one of the, one of the players on the team. So if we want to like just transition to the other aspect now out of you being a player, but now from the, the guidance standpoint, how was your experience as a head coach and dad going through the process? As a parent. Yeah, I, I really uh, enjoyed the process. Um, it, it gave me an opportunity to help guide you into hopefully making the right decision. Uh, we were able to travel to a bunch of different schools. You know, had the opportunity to go to all those different camps. I remember the one year we went on a camp circuit that kind of wore you out a little bit. So, so you learn some good things, some bad things and learn, you know, for, for parents out there, it's, it's ultra important to get your kid to these camps, but it's ultra important to also know that you can't do camp after camp, after camp, after camp, back to back and expect your child to perform at an elite level every single day. So rest is critical. So you got to make sure that you plan and strategize your summer camps out and spread them out. You know, you don't want to do three camps in three days because the camp number three, you're not going to be what you're supposed to be. No matter who you are, I don't care who you think you are. It's it's just going to be a fraction of who you are. And so you learn things like that. That's, that's so um, true, know. man. Just going through and just, I, I always preach about guys getting ready and starting this process, you know, sixth, fifth, sixth grade, just understanding the specialized training aspect or specialized training, just understanding the full spectrum of full development, right? Whether it's multiple sports, the serious approach to sports where it's like, you know, you're doing it for a reason. And so that's really important that you kind of touched on just that aspect of planning it out and having a blueprint on how things are doing and how you have to tweak it. Right. Cause it makes sense to get in front of as many schools. Cause like, I, I remember what you're talking about. Cause go to, I remember, I think it was at Ohio State. I didn't run as fast as I wanted to. It might have been like four or five one. And then it was, you know, after like a long two week thing. Maryland. Maryland. Right, right. And it was like in track season, right? We talk about doing track and 707 going and just kind of spacing it out and different things of that nature. But there's still a level of getting out there and that thing that you talked about, whether it's the passion, the competing aspect and still going out there and and doing that. But to the parents, having some understanding 
and uh, awareness of, you know, don't be a hard on if it's not their best performance numbers wise or anything like that, but effort should always remain high uh, in those situations. When did the process get serious to you? When did you like, when to you, we were like, all right, we have to be real about this. Well, as a parent and as a, a coach, you know, I think going into your junior year, I think that was the, the critical year for you. Uh, and, and I think the process is different depending on who you are as an athlete. I think the high-end kid, the, the Micah Parsons of the, of the world or, or Justin Kings of the world, their process starts sooner than a normal Daquan Hardy, right? And, and, and one's not better than another. It's just there, there's a process for each, and we got to know who and where we fit into this process. So, you know, when, when you're a, what we call a no-brainer, an easy decision, you, you're, you're clearly the best player anywhere around you, right? And those guys, and, and, and I'm going to be frank, there are not many of those guys, you know, there's a lot of really good players and every parent thinks their kid is is elite. But elite means when you go to a game, everybody at that stadium knows who just left that field as the best player. <laughs> there's no question. There's no argument. Right. You Regardless of sport. Stadium, you, you sit there and say, man, that number one, well, he's special. Yeah. Yeah. And there's nobody can debate it. Mm-hmm. When, when you don't have that conversation, that means you're not elite. That means you're not good. Right. You know, that, that, that don't, don't misinterpret it, but you know, and so when you're, you're in that category of good, we got to connect the dots, right? We, we got to have a process that's right. We got to have a, a group surrounding us that, that helps us make the right decisions. And because we got to make sure these decisions help us, to achieve what we're supposed to achieve. And anytime we go and detour from it, well, you just took a detour. You, you made it a longer route to get to your success path. So, oh, you know, nice. it, it's, it, it's, it, it got real for you probably coming out of your sophomore year that the offers started to really pick up the junior year when we went to those camps. I mean, it was basically whatever camp we went to, they wanted, they offered you, Whatever, anytime I picked up a phone and called USC, they offered, uh, whether it was Alabama, whoever it was, you know, so we we learned really quickly that you were an exceptional talent throughout the country. And then that changed the path because now it's like, okay, we know we could play anywhere in the country. What type of school should we be focusing on? Right. You know, and, and through your process, you know, obviously we, we, we took a deep dive in the University of Florida, took a deep dive, you know, in University of Michigan and Penn State, um, took a look at Ohio State, some others, you know, went yeah. to Notre Dame and USC. We talked and some, you know, and as we just kept dwindling and trying to figure out the fit. And, and then sometimes the fit isn't us making the decision, right? right. Because we love the University of Florida. Right. Right. That's true. And they made a decision that took them off the list for us. Exactly. You know, when they when they let Coach Ron Zook go at the time. Mm-hmm. So, 
you, I, I thought, you know, coming into your junior year, that thing started to heat up. And, and then for me as a coach, I had to manage the other players as well. Right. You know, so, you know, going into your junior year, we had Morty Ivy, who was my first division one player, who was a senior who eventually went to West Virginia university. And so, you know, you have to help all your guys and manage them and they're all fitting different categories. So, you know, it was, it was kind of like a, a, a puzzle that you just had to connect all the pieces and, you know, and at the end of the day, for me, the greatest thing for, that I love is the ability to help young people. And, and I think that's why my blessings continue to flow, because my heart is right and it's genuine to help my guys and help the guys that I, I can touch. Absolutely. Absolutely. Amen to that. And that's interesting that you talked about, even when you talked about reaching out, sending film and calling schools. It's like we're talking, you know, 02, 03, 04 it was like at a time when the recruiting scene was starting to shift, right? Like it was the emergence of rivals of highlight tapes of that whole, of everything that we kind of see now where guys are starting to post things. Like you were kind of one of the first coaches, one of the first coaches in Western Pennsylvania, like pushing those things out. Right. When it was like, here, here's this guy, here's this and having like a, like almost like a sheet of like, this is kind of what's up next when like the beginning days of the recruiting process now is kind of like the times that you're talking about. So like you really were, connecting the dots. It wasn't like a, you know, this is how it's set to be. It was like, no, there's like a new time of figuring out, like even when you're talking about camps and things like that, that was, you know, we're talking again, Oh, four, you know, that's five years, five, six years before like the seven on seven boom kind of happened all over the country and things like that. So it's a pretty interesting time when you talk about that and connecting the dots. Cause our next question was going to say, where did that information come from? But it was kind of you know, filling, figuring it out as we were, as we were moving, like the pixels were being filled in, seeing how the recruiting process was shaping up, whether it was coaches moving, how guys were recruiting and different things of like of that nature. Cause if you can talk about even reaching out to schools on players behalf, cause I know at the time that wasn't something that. Yeah. Well, it was, or other people the, experienced. Yeah. The big thing for me was being open to change. You know, for so long, there's a certain way you did things, but, you, you know, we we felt like we wanted to do things a different way. And we wanted to do things where we could help more people, more kids. And so, you know, something as little as I was one of the first coaches in the area that opened our locker room up pregame. You know, to, to be able to see behind the scenes that gave us a, a different level of exposure to, to everyone. And so you started the, the, the kids in the neighborhood and the kids in the area that was following it started to see how we had so much fun yet. We worked so hard and we enjoyed what we did. And so it created a process for us of just being open, trying to, to strive for more, to, trying to strive for, being elite and being great at what we do. So at that time, you know, we, we invested in, you know, those was back when VHS was still going, right. Right. Turning over into DVD. So we invested in all these VHS recorders to make these highlight tapes, to make sure that we could give the greatest exposure we could because there was no such thing as huddle back then. 
You know, at back then it was all about that the high school coach, if he so choose, had to create the highlight tape for his player. And the majority of high school coaches did not and would not do that. That's true. It puts a lot of power in the coach's hands to get the exposure out for the players, man. Especially that's a lot. Of, I mean, it's opportunity, right? We're talking six figure education sometimes, exposure to different opportunities. We talk post career is just it's a bottleneck and a critical point that you definitely took the reins of and accelerated beyond anything that was different, right? Because even like it was still even different from the school that I came from, Willing Hills. You know, they had good players that kind of left out, you know, because they built up the reputation. But the way it was turning out and the way guys were getting offers and the way it was pushing out that gateway after that time was like just a, a different, a different thing. Um, for a parent, what would you say a key takeaway um, that you kind of experienced as a parent that you would give a parent going through the process now that they can help better equip themselves, go through the process. Uh, as a parent, when, when you're looking to choose a, a school, a university, a, you got to find a place that that loves your kid and needs your kid to succeed. You know, we we often chase the big school that says, "Okay, I want to go to Alabama because they won two of the last four national championships." I want to go to Georgia this year because they just won a national championship. Well, is that a good fit for your kid? And and so I think we got to get the parents to understand, yeah, you want your kid to play at the highest level or the best level that's best for him. And Georgia or Alabama may or may not be that for your child. And so you got to be realistic to see where the right fit is, right? Because this transfer portal is, is something that's so new just within the last two years because you have you look at Alabama played in a national championship and one day later, eight players went into the portal. So it, it's not, it, you know, and this is, goes back to the, the initial conversation earlier when we talk about those elite guys. There's only a handful of these elite guys that can truly go play anywhere and play right now. That the is good so guys have to be aligned with somebody at that university that has to take ownership and say, hey, you know what? I'm not going to let your kid fail. He is mine and I'm going to make sure I do everything in my power to make sure he succeeds. Now, he's got to do what he's supposed to do. He's got to study the film and he's got to go to class and he's got to be a great kid and he's got to do his part and work hard. But at the end of the day, when I bring a kid to Penn State, it's it's my obligation to make sure that kid has to succeed. So what are those obligations for me? Okay. I'm a Pennsylvania guy. So when I recruit a Pennsylvania kid, I got to go to Pennsylvania every year, no matter what I do. That, that's the lifeline and the lifeblood of Penn State University. So I have to go to those schools and respect whoever comes out of them. Let's take it further. I recruit Tampa in Florida. Well, I've been recruiting Tampa since for nine years since I was at Temple. So I've built relationships there that for me to go back and be able to get the next Amani Awarue, I have to make sure those kids succeed that come to me. So those relationships matter. So, you know, there's, there's too many stories that you see a guy thinks, Hey man, I'm really good. And he's a good player. And he goes far off to a school and he doesn't play. 
and there's no one there to protect him. No one there to make sure he's going to be okay. Because we as coaches, we're all salesmen. We're going to sell you everything. It, it, that, that's the facts. That's real. But you got to be able to, to, to look and, and find out and do the research and learn who your position coach is and who that head coach is. Because those are the two critical factors. The head coach, because coaches change jobs left and right now. Right. Head coaches typically will stay as as, as, as long as they, their contract will go. The position coaches, they're, they're moving. Everybody's moving now, just like the transfer portal. Everybody's on the move. And so you you got to do your homework to, to figure out where do you fit in in a piece of the puzzle? Am I Micah Parsons? You can go anywhere you want. Micah's that good. But again, I've been coaching 25 years and I think I've only seen about five of those guys. That's the real right there. And like you kind of made the transition for us, like we're talking about recruiting as a associate head coach and a quarterbacks coach. Cause like you're talking about, you know, the things of what uh, a parent can look for when they're going through the process to help them be more informed that you kind of started talking about again, from your vantage point as a, you know, power five associate head coach. So let's go into like talking about the actual tactical aspects of recruiting. What are some of the main traits that catch your attention when you're recruiting players? Elite, elite athleticism, super fast, super athletic, bigger, stronger, faster, more powerful. You know, all the just common denominators to when you turn on the NFL, right? Super smart, super intelligence, elite intelligence, Mm. because you got to be able to process information. That's the one characteristic most athletes don't work on. When you ask an athlete, Hey, are you training or what are you doing? They're going to tell you, yeah, I'm going to the weight room. I'm going to the track. I'm trying to get faster. If you ask 100 athletes, 99 of them are going to tell you those three things. And none of them are going to say, hey, I'm studying film. I'm studying my position. I'm working on my footwork because I'm studying this professional guy or this college athlete or I'm studying this scheme to learn how to make better decisions in my route running or defending the routes or process, whatever it is, your position. But no one works the mind. The mind is the greatest thing we have. And that's the challenge when you look at the NFL. You know, it's 32 teams. Probably 10 of them got their quarterbacks. The other 22 are looking for a quarterback. And quarterback is all about mental aptitude. Right, because every every all those quarterbacks can throw the football. Mm-hmm. They got strong arms and physical traits, and but can they process and read a defense? Can they pick up and know where the blitz is coming from to deliver the hot route? The mental aptitude is is the thing that we work least on when we're young, at least. Elite athleticism and intelligence—that is, that's that's something that guys can work on. Man, elite athleticism. And I always tell guys, speed brings opportunities because that's something that kind of. It kind of sets you apart, right? We talk about elite athleticism, whether you got smooth hips, can open up, do all that stuff, and being intelligent, whether that's off the field, decision-making skills, being able to process on the field, all those things go into the recruiting process. And we touched on it a little bit earlier when we talked about you being kind of a purple dot type of a player, right? Like that guy that might not fit the size standards, but, you know, is dynamic in other areas. How important 
or size and speed standards when recruiting, like a power five level from your standpoint? Uh, they're very important. You, you know, ultimately you want a guy that fits and checks all the boxes, right? So we talk, we've been using Micah Parsons. So at linebacker, Micah fits the height. He fits the weight. He fits the speed. He fits the athleticism and he fits the, the mental aptitude. Mm-hmm. So, so he's checking every single box. And to be honest, I'm, I'm, I just finished my eighth season at Penn State. He's probably the only player we've recruited in eight years that checked every box. Wow. And that's including Saquon Barkley, who's an elite player. Mm-hmm. That's true. I mean, right? that's, that's so, you, you know, you just put it in perspective that there's just, you, you know, you're, you're looking for, and that's the perfect player. There's very few of them. So we want to be able to check as many boxes because the in our business, you want to minimize the misses. You know, you don't want to be able to bring a player in that all of a sudden you get them there and you're like, man, this guy can't play for us at all. And so that's what we consider to be a miss. So that's why you got to check all the boxes. The height matters. The length matters. Uh, his speed, his agility, his change of direction, his explosiveness, uh, you know, all those things matter. And, you know, whether you take a player that you think might be a step slower, then he has to have some type of other elite characteristic. Right. You know, if he's like Daquan Hardy was short and, and small, but Daquan Hardy runs four, three, Daquan Hardy scored four touchdowns, four different ways in the state championship game at the highest level in Pennsylvania. He brought something else that was elite that made us ignore the fact that he's small. Mm-hmm. And so he he was a different player that that brought that eliteness and and we're seeing it come out. He's one of our best defensive backs now. That's that's a, that's that's a that's a great point that you touched on because you're just talking about the different things and understanding when you're talking about size and speed standards how it kind of fluctuates fluctuates right. I remember I said uh, something about being a one touch guy on Instagram and my man Tony Hunt had come on and said. I like, you know, seven touch guys, but I'm like, you're six one, two hundred thirty pounds, like physical runner. I'm like, it's much harder to have all those attributes than it is to be just fast, right? To be able to knock that out. But you kind of touched on it on like those different pixels and someone checking all the boxes. What combination of pixels or details do you feel that you need that you need to see to feel comfortable offering a player a scholarship? Like, for example, like GPA, speed, background, film, like what, what combination of things like makes it feel like, oh, you get the Coach Smith sign off. Like he's big enough, fast enough, he's smart enough, X, Y, and Z. Yeah, so when you look at the positions of all the positions on defense, all positions on offense except O-line and maybe quarterback, but quarterback might fit there too. Speed is essential. Right. O-linemen, you want them to be fast. You want them to run five, two, five, three. That's that's fast for big O-linemen. But on the defensive side of the ball, you want speed. You need team speed. You need your DNs to be running four sixes. You know, we were exceptional the last few years with ours at Penn State. Those guys were running four threes, four fours. You want linebackers that can run. You want secondary guys that can run because the ability to run, you can fix all your problems. 
if you're a four seven corner and your fu- your footwork breaks down, well, how do you make up and catch up to the the guy that double moves you and now you're a step behind? You can never make it up. But if I can run, I can still make it up. So it doesn't make you have to be a perfect player every snap. So like you said earlier, speed kills. So speed is essential. You know, we love length. You know, you look at offensive linemen, you want long guys, 34, 35 inch arms. You want 6'5", 6'6", 6'7", because it makes the defenders have to go that much further around them. You know, we, we, we want length at the defensive end. We want length at the secondary, at every level, because length, size, and speed, they're, they're critical when you look at the formulas to success. Now, they're not the end-all, be-alls, but if you check those boxes, more times than not, you can create success for your team just because of their length, size, and athleticism. Sometimes those are things that are uncoachable, right? Like things like you said, the speed aspect, the length, sometimes it's just... Physics helps helps out, and you kind of want those things bouncing in a variable, heavy variable type of sport like football. Um, that's those those are really that was that was really good right there. Uh, how important is a camp performance to a kid's chances in playing a Power Five school? Uh, I think it's really important, you know, and it depends on the university. Um, the way we're built here at Penn State, camps are, are critical to our success. Uh, it gives us a live evaluation to really see how a kid learns, how he competes, to see him every snap through the good snaps and the bad snaps. You know, we get live eval on on his testing numbers, you know, whether that's the 40, the shuttle, uh, maybe it's a bench press test, uh, maybe it's a flexibility test. It gives us a lot of added information and you know, when we're talking about these elite players or these top players, they don't hide from it. They, they're Michael Parsons came to camp five times at, at, at Penn State. He, he, you know, the, the good players, there's nothing to hide. They just love football. They want to play. You know, they, they want to compete. And so you're looking for those guys. And, and that's an, an, a characteristic in itself is the guy that's like fighting to take every rep. Cause he just loves football. He just, he wants to go out there and, and beat whoever's out there. And that in itself helps you determine, okay, well, maybe this guy is a half a step slow. Maybe he's a half an inch short or something isn't quite right that he checks the box, but his competitiveness puts him over the top. Now that's, that's a great point. I, that's why I tell guys like there is an aspect of going to camp, being ready to compete, how important that is. Um, the families, how does, how does the family fit into the evaluation, right? Like how they kind of conduct themselves going through the process. Is that something that like coaching staffs kind of like balance out when they have to look at a player? Yeah, I don't think the families are for us ultimate decision makers, whether we take a kid or don't take a kid. Right. But the families play a factor because we, we recruit so many different structures of family whether it's single parent home, single parent dad, single parent mom, grandmom, granddad, aunt, uncle, um, seven on seven coaches is, you know, there, there's just so many dynamics that you, you have to include 
everyone involved. So when you're dealing with a single parent kid, and let's just say it's the mom, well, for us as coaches, we better find out who his dad is and where he's at. Because all too many times dad hasn't been in, in the picture or mom hasn't been in the picture for three, four, five, six, seven years. And then when this decision comes up, they're in the picture and you can't discount them. So you, you just got to do your due diligence, do your homework and, and make sure you're including everyone. And, and that, you know, as, as recruiting to, to win the prospect, you want as many dots or boxes to, to, be checked for the families. You want mom to say yes to, to, to your university. You want dad to be able to say it. You want the coach to be able to say it. You want the kid prospect to say it. You want everyone in the family to be able to say it. And if you can get everybody on board, then it's an easy decision. When you got everybody 50, 50, it's, it's a hard decision. Uh, that, that's a, that's a, that's a great point. Understanding just the whole family dynamic when you're recruiting, right? Like just like for other coaches out there listening, like, you might be recruiting one thing, but being flexible about the family dynamics and understanding what that brings and how to rope that into your department. So this episode is brought to you by LIG Sports Group, a football operations strategy consulting group. Our mission is to equip our clients with the intel guidance and strategy to master the critical points in the business of football. LIG Solutions equips clients with an in-depth understanding of the most critical aspects of the business in football, maximizing opportunities for success, advancement, and longevity. So we're back into it. So talked about that. We're going to go into talking about the transition from the game. So when you were a player, you know, we talked about how you were recruiting. So, you know, one of the big things about LIG Sports Group is we handle the critical points in the football ecosystem. And one of them is obviously transitioning out of the game. So we just want to talk about some of the little, some of the things that you went through transitioning out from a player at the end of your career and transitioning kind of into the role that you're in now. Um, how was your transition from the game for you? Good and bad. Um, I don't think there is a way to prepare yourself when the day football ends. And what I mean by that is all your life, you've been the best player or one of the best players on every team you've ever played on. And then all of a sudden, one day, football's over. And so for me personally, you know, I, I was had a good career and, and I was drafted. And when I went to play for the Washington Redskins, it abruptly ended at the end of training camp. And for the first time in my life, I didn't have football. And so I don't know how you prepare for that day that it, it's abruptly over. Now, we all know in our hearts, one day football will end. But in our minds, we're saying it's going to end when I want it to end, even though we know that's not true reality. And so when that ended, you know, I, I chased football for about two or three more years where I played Canadian Football League, Arena Football League. And once I decided football was over there, for me, at that point, it was very easy because I knew I had a degree. I, I knew I had a plan for after the game. And my football career, I, I faced the reality that it wasn't headed back toward the NFL. And so I consciously made the decision 
you know what, this is, this is the end for me. It is time to take the next step. And right, so, so you almost had like you almost had two separate tra- you almost had two separate transitions to an extent. So it was almost yeah. like you're saying like the NFL was an abrupt transition where it was like up, oh, it's over, kind of a shock. But then you kind of went after it kind of from the passion of playing football. I was like, All right, I'm gonna continue to see what happens here. You went after the Canadian Football League and Arena, and from there, once you saw that kind of, you were like aware, like okay, this might not be it. I can close up and kind of yeah. accelerate into the next point. Yeah. Talk about that having an awareness at the end of your career and how, you know, you kind of know sometimes a couple of years before it comes up. If you're honest with yourself, right? Sometimes guys continue to chase that piece. But it's interesting that you said you the one that was abrupt in the NFL and then kind of had that other one where there was awareness there and it's kind of closing the door and moving forward. That's a interesting take um, on that transition piece where it's like a, almost like a two step layered process. And I think that, I mean, a lot of times we saw that when I was at the XFL, we saw a lot of guys when they came in, it was like that closure piece where they came into, came in, it was like, yeah, I can get to the X, I can get to the NFL, but it was also, you know, that closing up of whatever they had bottled up and being able to transition into that next aspect of their life. So that's, that's a real good insight there. Um, from there, your first transition jobs, like what were your first transition jobs once you were like done with Canadian football? And it was so I started working <clears throat> selling um, office phone equipment and sales. I, I was in general sales, uh, just selling these telecommunication systems uh, for a couple years, and then I landed a job um, doing MoneyGram. You know, so just like wire transfers. Mm-hmm. you know, uh, much like Western Union. And so, you know, again, it was an outside sales job, just, you know, trying to connect dots. And, and I really loved that job. And then from there, you know, I, I was coaching part-time all the while. And so while coaching, I developed that to be my passion. And so these jobs were pretty much what I had to do to pay bills while I was coaching to develop my passion. And then I was fortunate enough to be able to go back to my alma mater gateway. And they hired me full time as the athletic director, which put me into a full time coaching mindset, so to speak. And so I developed a passion for uh, the athletic administration side of things. I really love handling administration and overseeing the different teams um, and having the ability to touch many different athletes, not just the football athletes, but all the sports teams that we had there, you know, whether it's baseball, softball, swimming, wrestling, track, cross country, et cetera. Um, Just the ability behind the scenes to make an impact and know that you help this kid from another sport, get a scholarship or for this team to succeed and win a district championship or a state championship or in the individual sports, maybe an individual in track one, the state championship. So um, I, I really developed a passion for that and, and uh, just grew from there. That, that's awesome. Especially when you talk about those transition jobs when it's like sales and you always had a business uh, mindset and wanting to do that. And then when you transition and become an AD, it's kind of, you know, sports business, right? You talk about, you talked about it a little earlier, but your college, you had college connections that kind of helped you navigate those transition jobs? Like, 
that was kind of still connected yeah. to Penn State? Yeah. So, you know, even when I went back to from from the time I got the, the job with MoneyGram, Joe Paterno picked up the phone and the boss that hired me was a Penn State person. And so when I went through the interviewing process, they were like, you know, they were fans. So they were like, you know, any way I can talk to him, I'm like, you know, heck yeah, you could talk to him. I'll get him to call you, but I want to make sure that I'm getting this job. And, you know, <laughs> you just connect the dots and, you know, he picked up the phone and, and, and that was the power of, of relationships because that was what Jopa promised. And, and that's what he told us that would happen. And here it is coming to fruition. You know, he picks up the phone and it cements the deal that, that takes place. And, and from there, it just moved on. And, you know, when I went to, to Gateway, um, you know, I had a lot of personal connections to that. But once again, Joe Paterno and Tom Bradley picked up the phone and, and called and helped to, to push the buttons to say, yeah, this is the right guy. Because I didn't have any head coaching experience. I didn't have any athletic director experience. But, but you know, when you hear from someone like Joe Paterno, you know, there's going to be a certain level of respect. And then when I went from Gateway to Temple, well, Matt Rule came up under the Paterno way of Penn State. And, you know, we're both Penn Staters. So he brought me in and, you know, and then when Coach Franklin came to Penn State, you know, he knew that he, he felt like he had to, to get a Penn State person to connect all the dots with the Letterman, the alumni, and, and just the culture of Penn State and knowing how that, that university operates. So my, my entire life has been, you know, driven by Penn State connections through every job that I've ever gotten. So that's so important, man, when you talk about just the connection or just even the decision that you made as 17 years old, where like those still had impacts into your adult years and major career moves and things like that. I always say like, you know, when you're looking at schools, the young athletes, like, well, take a, take a step around and look around and see like, do you think this school will hire you ever when you get done playing or will they help you get a job or will they prepare you for the next steps that, that, that you're looking to do? Like whether you want to be a producer or a photographer, whatever that thing is that you want to do, can you operate and use the football ecosystem as a catalyst to get to the career that you want to bank on? Because that's kind of what you want to use this whole thing for. I always talk about the percentages, right? Everyone talks about the top 1% gets to the NFL. And it's like, that's kind of skewed too, because that's that 1% talking about guys that are in there for a day, two days or things like that. And that's not really a career that you can bank on. People's like, I just got to get to the 1%. And it's like, well, the guys that make it five years out of the lifetime of the NFL is 26%. So there's 74% of people, you know, that never, you know, make it five years. And that's still just a, an experience in the NFL. You're not set up for life. You still have to have a career to continue to move forward on. So just really understanding what the football thing is and where to, maximize those different aspects. And it's just important that you understand where that your college decision and your recruiting process fits in that. Um, when you transition to being a coach and athletic director, what attributes or blue chip attributes that you had, when you know, you had the passion uh, for football going through it, you were always ultra competitive. Were those attributes or what attributes did you lean on 
to kind of close that gap knowledge when it was becoming a coach and an administrator? For, for me, I always leaned on how would I want to be coached? How would I want to be talked to or taught as a player? You know, what, what did I like about my past coaches? What didn't I like about my past coaches? And what I didn't like, I wanted to fix for anybody that I coached or, or touched going forward. And so I, I, I guided every decision that I made based on what I felt the player would be feeling. Not what benefited me, not what benefited my institution, what was the best for that player. And I think that's why my blessings are heavy because you know, God always said, take care of the kids and then don't mess with kids. You mess with the kids. You, you're going to reap, a, a, you, you're going to reap what you sow. And so in my heart, I go to bed well every night because every decision I make is what I felt was the best thing for that individual. And, and as we make all these individual decisions, it's going to always and ultimately be great for our institution. Because that kid is going to be happy. He's going to play hard or she's going to play hard. She's going to give everything she has to make us better. Because he or she knows we're invested into them. Mm -hmm. And so they're going to reciprocate because who's more important to them than themselves? And and so when you can relay that message that it's, it's about you and here's how we pull it all together to make it about us. We're all on the same team trying to achieve the same goals. That's so key. That's so key to even understand, like going through that aspect of just the football ecosystem in general. So just to finish up that at this part of the you know interview, what was the hardest part about the transition from player to coach and how did you overcome it? I know we talked about like what attributes you leaned into, um, you know, dealing with the, you know, with the kids. But what was the hardest part about the transition? Well, the, the hardest part is ending football that you've played all your life. You, you know, it's it's hard for all athletes. It's, it's all of us. It just, no matter when you started, whether you were five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten years old, whatever it was, think about it, you have played now for the next 10, 12, 13, 14, 15 years, whatever it is. And it's a part of how you built your character to be. And now all of a sudden that is completely over and and you have to pick up the pieces and move forward. And this is where we, we have to do even a better job of getting our guys and athletes. And, you know, we always preach the education. We always preach, hey man, there's life after ball, but we have to somehow figure out how to get this message, you know, better to our, our athletes because for football, for, for the majority of us, 95% of us at 22 years old, you're going to be done playing football. You leave college, you're going to be done. And then for a small portion, they may make it two to four to five years. And, and a fraction of, of a percent could go on and play multiple years at professional level, which is when you, when you look at the, the guys that you touch, it's, it's very rare. You know, I, I, I coached at Gateway 11 years 
and I had two guys play in the NFL. You know, when I coached 50 to 70 guys a year times 11 teams and two made it into the NFL, you know, and none made it for double digit years in the NFL. None, none beat the odds of mm-hmm. where you made it a career that, you, you know, like, like a Ben Roethlisberger, you know? So one of the questions I asked my guys that I coach at Penn state, who can name a guy that they know personally that's played 10 years or more in the NFL? Nobody can. So that's the reality of what we're staring at. So we better have some education and some things that we have as alternatives whenever our time comes. That is so critical, man. That's so critical. And just understanding that you talked about, like it's like the education piece and there's like a level of just like tactical knowledge, right? To be able to transition the skills that you learn from playing football and going through the football building and just through the football journey and transitioning out, whether you want to be a coach or a scout or working in recruiting and those different gap things. So like the last part of the interview, we're going to touch on, you know, your time now as, as from the coaching standpoint, um, you know, in 2020, in, to, in 2020, PSU had the fourth most DBs drafted from one school, which was six. And to, in 2021, PFF ranked PSU secondary fifth in the country with an 89.9 grade uh, coverage unit. Um, and so like just understanding like the type of impact that you've already been having at Penn State just based on the results from the secondary and everything going on, just touching on now as you being a coach, what's the ideal personality type or player that would lend well to following your post-career path to becoming, you know, a coach, right? Like that you are now. You know, a, a, a guy that's a student at a game, you know, a guy that loves football, a, a guy that loves people, because you got to want to help people to be in this sport. Right. And and like any time in, in, on any team that you've ever played for, you know, unselfish. Because there has to be sacrifice somewhere down the road to get what you want. You know, whether that's take a pay cut to to, to get the experience you need, whether that's. You know, you may have to sweep up. The locker room to be able to, to be where you want to be. So, you know, at the end of the day, you know, you got to have some passion for it. Guys that study the game and understand the game. You know, I, I, I tell my guys again, the, the guys that played 10 plus years in the league, they're nothing more than great coaches. Because they know how to study the film and know how to master their position. And, you know, what's what's a frustrating part for for me is and this is kind of sidetracked is for athletes are looked upon as not so smart and intelligent when it comes to coaching. And going back to the NFL, so an NFL guy that plays seven, eight, nine, ten years isn't considered a smart guy, but absolutely he's as smart as the coach to play that long. It has to be. <laughs> has to be. Because you can't survive this game and not be so smart. That's just the truth. That's just Athletic the truth of the matter. It can take you so far, but man, the brain. Tom Brady is Tom Brady because his brain is elite. Absolutely. <laughs> that is so true, man. Just abs- like recognizing that players 
have things that they can pick up on and that they can coach. And you kind of go into actually my next question for players aspiring to be coaches. What can they do while they're playing to prepare to be a coach? Like for the guy that may be a freshman is like, man, I want to be a coach one day. Like what can they do to prepare themselves to be a coach as they're playing as a player? Like to show them. Study film. Study. Love this. Love to watch film. Because when you watch enough film, it shows you the tendencies. And when you know the tendencies and understand the tendencies, you know what's getting ready to come to you. And, and so as a coach, the tendencies tell you how to prepare. As a player, the tendencies tell you when you can make your big play. And so that film study, you, you know, and the ability to go sit with your coach and talk ball with your coach. That's key. Being able to talk that terminology with coaches. Talk, talk and that terminology. To, your, take it to the next step. Like, like, like the pro guys, when you're in college, we come in on Monday and Tuesday. Well, you know, Sunday, Monday for the coaches is heavy film day, heavy game planning day. Well do the same thing player. So when you come in Tuesday's meeting, you have a plan for that opponent. So now it's not me as coach telling you what we're going to do. You have a discussion to say, coach, this is what I saw. They they run a lot of three by one sets and a lot of verticals. And this is how I think we should combat it. That's, that's how you prepare to be a coach. And that's how you be prepared to be a great player. That's true. <laughs> you got the answers now. That That's a great answer there, man. That is so true. So for young coaches, specifically high school coaches, like, you know, you started off in high school, any advice or steps that they can implement to move up to the college coaching ranks? Yeah, the big thing is relationships. They got to be able to get to colleges and go sit with those college coaches, talk ball with them. Provide value. Yeah, sit sit in there and, and, and talk ball to the big challenge now, you know, back in the day, college or high school coaches could come up and work our camps. Now they can't. Um, but there's nothing to say they can't come sit in the office with us and, and talk ball and talk scheme and and learn new techniques, learn new um, schemes, whether it's coverages or you know offensive schemes, whatever it is. Um, don't don't stay in your own little shell. You know, you might be good today, but the game is ever evolving. And if you're not evolving with it, you're going to get passed up. And when you get passed up, then you're going to miss that window of opportunity. So true. Is it good for coaches to go to like AFCA conventions and things like that? High school coaches? Absolutely. You, you, you got thousands of coaches there. You have all these guys presenting, talking about different schemes, whatever the scheme is that you're you're trying to do at your school. There's somebody there talking about it where now all of a sudden you can learn two or three more things to take back. Plus the networking, it gets you in front of these guys to be able to, to build a network. And to, to, to be honest, my networking from gateway is how I'm able to recruit and, and know and talk to all these coaches across the country, because when they were coming in to see Justin King or Morty Ivy or, Cam Sadler, all these great guys we had at Gateway, I was having the opportunity to sit and meet and talk to these guys. That's how I met James Franklin. You know, we went to camp down at, at 707 camp down in Maryland. James Franklin was the assistant head coach there. Got it. You, you know, so, so those relationships are important because James felt comfortable that he knew me enough to hire me because of that relationship. 
had we not gone down there and I hadn't had not had that relationship, I very much doubt I'd be at Penn State right now. Wow. All those things all connect, man. That's that's like that's remarkable. That's that's pretty crazy. <laughs> What's like, man, you've accomplished so much, man. This has been like a value packed interview, man. Thank you so much. What's your career end goal after and after and all, all of this, you know, from the transition to your point now, what do you wanna what's the and what's the mountain to climb at the end? Well, for me, I, I've achieved a lot. I'm, I'm very happy with my career path. I don't so much have an individual goal. My my goal, and I guess it's been my goal my whole life, is I just want to continue to help young people. I, I want to make sure that I provide an opportunity for every young man that I touch to go achieve his goal. And when they achieve theirs, I achieve mine. Their happiness creates my happiness. And so, you know, that that's kind of my, my deal. It's kind of been, I'm old school. A lot of coaches don't think that way no more. It, it's what can I get? I, you know, I, I'm just, I'm not built that way. I just feel like if I help others, I'm going to be helped in the process. Absolutely. That's amazing. That's a great answer, man. Thank you so much for uh, sharing all that stuff and for the, for the interview and everything, everybody can follow him at at Coach Terry at, at Coach Terry PSU um, on Twitter. And we just like like to thank you. Remember, like everything that we kind of talked about, and just from the beginning when you were just saying, uh, you know, like approach the game with passion moving forward and understanding the different transition points and every every step as you heard from his journey the critical points kind of led to the other thing led to the next thing, but there were different quality traits, whether it's the passion going for the game, competitiveness, reaching for the connections at Penn state that kind of built up the whole journey to where it is now. And remember coaches, high school coaches network, continue to moving up Uh, parents, make sure that you're informed through the transition and through the whole uh, entire process. Remember to like, this video, subscribe to the Blue Chip Academy uh, YouTube page and download the checklist. Uh, at the end of the day, you know, this is Blue Chip Academy Blueprint to Success series. Um, thank you. And we were signing out. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Blue Chip Academy. To help navigate the recruiting waters, LIG Sports Group put together a Blue Chip Recruiting Checklist. Download your checklist at LIGsports.com Blue Chip Academy to ensure you're making informed decisions through this process. Hit subscribe and check out the LIG Sports Group Football Ops and Recruiting YouTube channel where we'll talk about the recruiting and other critical points in the football ecosystem. If you're feeling stressed, confused, or just want help putting together a blue chip blueprint for you and your son, don't hesitate to book a console call with me at LIGsports.com backslash Blue Chip Academy. Remember, everyone has a different journey. Keep sharpening and remember that you can only go to one school. Just make sure that you have your blue chip blueprint together and execute it. Life is good.